0: Welcome to Waymaker Church Podcast. The heart of the house is that these messages would help you to encounter, live for, and advance the kingdom of God. Enjoy this week's message. If you have your Bibles this morning, go and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 18. Uh, we're continuing uh, in our series this morning in the, uh, the, the parables of Jesus. And so we've been in the last several weeks uh, looking at uh, uh, just learning, looking and learning about kingdom principles, uh, and what Jesus was teaching in his ministry as he revealed the kingdom of God to the disciples uh, and really to the world. And uh, so we've been uh, looking at the parables that are found in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, these are called the synoptic gospels. And uh, so far in our series, again, Matthew chapter 18, and you can hold your place there because uh, I'm going to give just a brief recap. But so far in this series, the purpose of this is to understand that in the parables, what Jesus does is, is he is using symbols from the realm of creation uh, and human relationships to be able to illustrate the kingdom of God uh, and, and truths and precepts concerning the kingdom of God. And, uh, and so one of the things that I share with you early on, Is that uh, through basic observation we can find the interpretation the application uh, of the parable and so I was talked about as we study the scripture and you can use this beyond just the parables to studying the word in general Uh, a few things that I shared with you early on that I believe are important I want to recap is that when we study the word right when we're studying the Bible we have to be mindful not to make it say what we want it to say it's very important as believers when we are reading the scripture is what is it actually saying Right? What is that? Some of the questions we can, we can look into is, uh, is uh, take the time to learn what's being said. Who does it speak about? Remember, the word was written to specific people at a specific time. There are cultural references that, that, would be, uh, that would give them great understanding of what was being spoken. And so it's important to make sure that we look for those things. So who is it being written to? What are the words that are used? We have to remember that the Bible is not written in the English language. The Old Testament was written in the Hebrew and Aramaic, the New Testament was written in the Greek. And so there are are studies within that, and the words that were used that often can mean more than just a single word that we see in the English language. And so we want to be able to look at what words are used. What time in history was it written? Right? What was going on in the context of that time? Where was the message spoken? To what intent? And, uh, and, and, also in the scripture that's super important, I want to remind you of this is that it's always important to look at the preceding context leading up to the, the thing that you're reading, right? So we never want to formulate an entirety of an opinion or a thought based off of a few verses. We want to look at the whole of scripture to understand, uh, and to gain better understanding because many times, uh, we have to remember that the scripture, the chapters and the verses that you and I have were added later as a reference point for you and I, Which means that it's possible for things that we're reading and things that we're looking at to actually begin in one chapter and the thought doesn't end until the next. And so if we were just to, like, say, you know, read our chapter a day. And try to formulate doctrine or thought out of just that one chapter it's possible that we may miss the fullness of the context of of what was being shared because it may go beyond those chapters and so uh, anyway it's important to look at what precedes the text that you're reading and what goes after it so we can gain a, a fuller understanding and also inside of that as well we use scripture to interpret scripture we don't use our opinion to interpret scripture And so again, we can look back to the beginning and what God has already said, what God has already done, and all of those things will give us a greater picture of who he is. And uh, so that's, again, just a few things I want to jump back to on that. Because our goal at the end of the day as believers uh, is not just to come to church and hear messages. Our goal as believers is to be able to rightly divide the word of truth for ourselves. Amen. I didn't get a lot of amens on that one this morning. You're like, i got to study that way. Yes. Every single one of us as believers need to study the word in such a way that we're able to receive revelation from God. I believe that you are called to be more than a person who attends church on a Sunday. I believe that you are called to walk in power. I believe that you are called to walk with an anointing on your life where you lay hands on the sick and they recover. Amen. I believe that when you lay hands on people and pray, that demons get cast out. Come on, somebody. There's more to this thing, and we have to be mindful not to allow the American gospel to reduce us to a Christian club that we attend weekly instead of being filled with power from on high with the demonstration of the Spirit advancing the kingdom of God everywhere that we go. Amen. But in order to do that, you can't give away what you don't have. And so in order for you to give something away freely, you have to have received it so that you can freely give it. Amen. That, that receiving comes from our time spent in the word, understanding what we've read, seeking for revelation, not adding to the truth, not making it say what we wanted to say, but learning to, to not adjust the word to my life, but my life to the word. Amen. 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 And so uh, a brief summary of some of the things that we've talked about so far and their purpose is that Jesus spoke in parables. Why did he use parables? Jesus spoke in parables for two reasons. One, it was to fulfill prophecy that was in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, that seeing they wouldn't see and hearing they wouldn't hear uh, because of the hard-heartedness in the uh, the nation of Israel uh, as a people. And uh, there would just come a time when he would reveal the kingdom of God in pictures, but he wouldn't just tell them plainly. Uh, the second thing, though, that that Jesus says to the disciples, he says, But to you it's been given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. And so in that, the, the second thing is that he uses parables to, receive, uh, to reveal the nature of the kingdom of God and how we are to live in, in, in relation to it. So the things that we're talking about, the things that we're reading, this is the beginning of Jesus's ministry, and he is expounding on, right? He has come to reveal the Father. He has come to reveal the nature of the kingdom of heaven. But not only that, he has also come because he is going to now bring a revelation of how you and I are to live in the context of that relationship in that kingdom. And so this morning, we've been looking at that for, for several weeks now. And, uh, and so we want to look at how to live in revelation, uh, relation to it. The foundational parable that we talked about is the parable of the sower. It revealed that all kingdom growth and potential are determined by the condition of our hearts. So our ability to advance the kingdom, our ability to receive, uh, our, our ability to, to be able to see God move in, in lives around us and to change our lives is 100% related to the condition of our heart. If you have a hard heart, you're not going to be able to receive the things of the kingdom of God. Uh, If you don't have a surrendered heart, you're not going to be able to receive. And so in that parable, three of the four soil types did not bring fruit. And at the end of the day, Jesus expects fruit in our life. And so if we have good soil, it's going to produce a great harvest. And so uh, one of the things that we learned as well is that God is good, but he is also just. And uh, we talked about the parable of the wheat and tares that in the end, he is going to bring into account transgression and sin for those who have rejected the gift of salvation. There will be a dividing and a judgment at the end for people who either receive Christ or reject Christ. And, uh, and we're all going to give an account for our lives, right? The things that we've done, the words that we've spoken, the actions that we've had. The only difference in that ending is those that have accepted Christ, the power of the blood of Jesus washes those things away. And so we can stand justified before God as if we have never sinned and we can enter into the kingdom. And that's a beautiful thing. That's the good news this morning. If you don't know that, that's good news. Uh, That even though because of sin we're guilty through the blood of Jesus, we can be made free. But for those who reject the gift of salvation, there will come a day when they'll have to stand before God and give an account for their lives. And without the blood of Jesus, they don't have the money to pay. Amen? And so we want to, we want to be able to, to advance the gospel so that as many as possible would receive the gift of salvation. Um, the word of the kingdom, another thing that we talked about is that the word of the kingdom leads us to life. So it helps us to crucify the flesh in its lust. So that we can live alive towards God. So the word of God, when we plant it in our heart, will help us to subdue the flesh, to put the things aside that we don't need to be doing. It deals with attitudes and mindsets and, and behaviors and things that just, they're not righteous, they're not godly, and they're not good. Um, and and, uh, and so those types of things, the word of God helps us to deal with those things. It helps us to deal with the attitudes or, uh, or the words that we say, the things that we do, the places we go, the way that we act, the way that we treat people. And so the word of God helps us to align with the kingdom of God. And and as we do that, it's going to help us to live alive towards God. And that just simply means that we're going to live according to his ways. And when we live according to his ways, we're going to live the best life we can live. And so it's a life where we present ourselves as instruments of righteousness with the purpose and the intent to be sown by God into the world. And I think that's an important thing to remember, and I said it a second ago, that God wants you to be so full of the Holy Spirit and so full of the Word that your life exudes power and anointing when you go, because you're surrendered in such a way that his anointing and his power rest upon you, so that now you have a tangible effect on the world around you. It's Acts 10.38, where it talks about, it says that God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. The reality is you need to see your name in that verse, how God anointed Joel with the Holy Ghost of power, who just simply went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You and I are called to be agents of change. You and I are called like like leaven to have an effect from the inside. And uh, the only way to do that is to be filled with the word of God, to be filled with the understanding of the kingdom, because your life is not just about coming to church. Your life in Christ is about being sown into the world as... Oh, (laughs) your life is meant to be sown into the world as a seed so that that other people may come to know him. Your example as a believer is intended to be able to help other people know him. The trials that you face are intended to help you gain faith and trust in God so that when somebody else is going through it, you now have a testimony to encourage them to say, God saw me through the very same thing. He's going to see you through it. Your generosity to the kingdom of God that as you sow, as you tithe, as you give, you'll find out that, 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 that the righteous are never forsaken or a seed begging bread. You're going to find out that God is faithful to his word every single time. And now somebody else is going through something. You're able to say, the God that I serve is faithful. The God that I serve doesn't change. And the same thing that he did for me, because here's the coolest thing about testimony. The Lord's been stirring this in my heart. It's sitting in my nose, but I'm going to share it with you. Um, That the scripture tells us that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when you declare what God has done, you're literally speaking out loud what he's willing to do again. Because God is no respecter of persons. He does not change. And what he has done before, he'll do again. He doesn't prefer one person above another. The thing is, so if we share the testimony, what we're going to find out is that God wants to take that same story in you and duplicate it in somebody else. The circumstance may be a little different. Uh, the, 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 the details surrounding it may be a little bit different. But at the end of the day, the same outcome of freedom and healing and hope or deliverance uh, or whatever it is, God wants to do it again. Everybody say, do it again. Come on, somebody. Now turn to your neighbor and say, he wants to do it through you. Come on, somebody. So God wants us to, we want to to present ourselves to him as instruments of righteousness to be sown into the world. And so this morning, I just simply want to remind you that growth and spiritual fruit takes time. Don't throw in the towel early. Don't do the like four to six month Christian thing where you try Jesus and throw it out. Make the determination to serve him with your life. Because there are things that you're going to learn five years from now, 10 years from now, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now of walking with Jesus that you're not going to know today. There is knowledge that you're going to gain. There are wisdom and experiences that you're going to have that's going to come over consistency throughout time, not just because you prayed a prayer to get to heaven. You see, the prayer of salvation is the doorway into the kingdom. It's not the end all. The cross matters. The cross is powerful. It's the power of God unto salvation. But at the end of the day, what you and I have to recognize is we have to actually step through the cross, through the door, which is Jesus Christ, and step into the kingdom of God. And what we're going to find out is that the the door is narrow. It's just Jesus. There is no other way. But the kingdom of God is very expansive. There are gifts that... Tell the enemy to like this message I'm going to preach it even more um, But the thing is is, is that thing, There are gifts in the kingdom of God There are talents, there are abilities There are things that God wants to place in your life Through the power of the Holy Spirit So that you can have an effect on the world around you And so it's important for us to recognize that this morning And step into the call of God on our lives And can I tell you this morning The call of God is not some mystical thing Ultimately and simply The call of God is a call to Him And every person in this room is called. Now, there is vocational ministry, which myself, our pastors on staff, like we serve full time in the ministry to do the work of the Lord, to devote ourselves to scripture and to study and to understanding and teaching. But the reality of it is, is every person in this room is called of God to do something. Amen. And so we need to do that. So growth in uh, spiritual fruit simply takes time, but kingdom fruit in your life, again, is meant to encourage you and others. It's meant to instruct others. We talked about the gospel is like leaven. It has small beginnings, but it increases drastically in size because Christians are agents of change. We slowly transform the culture from within. Uh, when we understand from Pastor Josh's, uh, Josh's message, when we understand the critical component that Jesus found us before we found him, it changes everything. I want to remind you this morning that the Lord was seeking you out. He was pursuing you. The Holy Spirit was wooing and drawing you to himself. Amen? And if we will learn to yield to that, it can be powerful. And here's the thing is because we recognize that he was seeking us first, he he came to seek and to save the lost, that he did what he did uh, to be able to come after us, to get us, to bring us back into right relationship, this is why we serve him with our lives. And I think sometimes you have to understand that the measure of your worship is directly related to to the level of understanding and revelation that you have of him. If you struggle in worship, you need a new revelation. Or maybe you've been saved for a long time and, and you struggle in worship. Oh, we're just singing songs again. Maybe you need to go back and remind yourself of the great things that he's done for you. Because I can tell you for myself, the depth of my worship comes out of the depth of my gratitude to him. Because he picked my feet up out of the miry clay and puts me on a solid rock. Amen? He took a, a person in a life that I was destroying and he turned it around to use it for good. And so in our worship even, we have to be mindful to be able to worship to the measure of our revelation. And, and, and in all of that, for me, I serve him simply because he's worthy of being served, not because anybody else deserves it. I, I can tell you the truth this morning that uh, the reason that I stand here today And don't be offended by this, it's not because of you. I didn't move my family to Roswell, New Mexico for you. I moved it here for him because he asked me to. It's a weird way to think about that, right? Because we can think like, oh, like the pastor's here for us. You have to understand the call of God in my life is to serve the king. I'm here to serve him. Now, you get the benefit of my relationship with Jesus and the overflow, and I'm not saying I'm all that in a bag of potato chips, unless you got that green jelly dip from Albertsons, you know what I'm talking about? That's, oh, my God, bless the Lord. Um, but here's the thing is, is the reality of, of, of the nature of the kingdom of God is we're here to serve him. Uh, we're here to be faithful to him, and that's why we carry the heart and the mindset that we get to serve. We don't have to serve. He does not force me to serve him. I choose to serve him. Why? Because he's worthy of it, and he's so good, Uh, because serving myself was a dead-end road. Amen? Amen. I'm going to preach like a whole other message. I need to finish the one I was supposed to preach. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Last week, we heard as well that Jesus is the shepherd who goes after the one. The Holy Spirit is the one who lights the path, and the Father is waiting for the lost to come into his arms and to come home. And I love that picture, especially the, the story of the prodigal son Uh, there's two things that always stick out to me. One is the attitude of the older brother who was upset at the people that God saves. Can I please ask you, don't ever carry an arrogant heart as a believer to act like the older brother. He tells him everything I have is yours. If you are in the kingdom, everything that the father has is yours. Ask. He says you don't have because you don't ask. Just ask him. Ask him for the more. Now, here's the thing. He's a good father, so he may give some attitude checks and deal with some things in your life to make sure that what you're asking for doesn't destroy you, right? Like, I'm not going to give my children a chainsaw that's running if they don't know how to use it, right? It's like handing a three-year-old a chainsaw, and they're like, give me that, and you're like, I don't think so. Why? Because although it's an amazingly effective tool, it also has the power to destroy them. So he's a good father that gives gifts in times and seasons, but you just simply need to ask. What I love on the other side of that is that, that literally, even when the other son, the younger son, says, You're dead to me, basically, give me my inheritance. You are dead to me. He gives it to him anyway. Like, how many of us as dads in the room would like totally just like wring their neck in that moment? You'd be like, Really? Get out of my house. You know? A so kid walks up and just says, Hey, you're dead to me. Give me my inheritance. I'd be like, How about no? How about go make your own inheritance? You know, and so that's why you should be thankful we're not the Lord. He is. Um, <laughs> we'd be like singing in sing to him, be like bye bye bye. You, know, you got to get out of my house. You know, like I can rewrite that song. So, <laughs> oh Lord, help me. I don't know where that stuff comes from. It's not in my notes. But uh, but the thing is, is what I love about the heart of the Father is He literally is there, and and His Son has said you're dead to me. He goes off, he waste it with prostitutes and wild living finds himself in a place of need, wises up, decides to come home. And yet the entirety of the time, every day the father was looking for the son to return. And I, I love that because maybe you're in the room this morning and you feel like the prodigal. He's looking for your return. And he's looking for your return with joy. I love that story because it says that he ran to the son. He didn't give him an attitude. He didn't just be like, yeah, whatever. There comes the, the cutie who thinks I'm supposed to be dead. He runs to him, puts the ring on his finger, right, clothes him, puts the sandals on his feet. Like I love that depiction of God because I feel like so often we can picture Him as just some angry being in the sky that just is out to get us, and that's not it at all. He loves us. He's jealous for us. He fights for us, and uh, and as a father and a good father, he corrects us when needed. Amen. Amen. And so this morning we're going to step into uh, uh, a scripture, the parable found in Matthew chapter eighteen. Uh, verse 21 through 35. It's the parable of uh, the unforgiving servant. And one of the things that I found interesting is as I was looking at the parables that we've talked about, until now, the focus of the parables have really been God towards us and our response to him. This parable kind of takes a little bit of a shift and, and, and the focus turns to interpersonal, right? So he first talks about the nature of the kingdom of heaven, our response to him. And now he begins to shift it in this particular parable to an interpersonal. This deals with us with each other. And so uh, the, the reality is that the principle of the kingdom, the principles of the kingdom not only have an effect on how we live towards God, but they actually have a, an effect on how we live in relation to one another. And an example of this is, is 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. You don't have to turn there. The scripture simply says this. He says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And so I just want you to know this morning, um, I was praying for you before church. I don't know all of your lives. I don't know the story of all of your lives. I know that we all have the capacity to hurt. I know that we all have the capacity to be offended, uh, that there are traumas that have been experienced in the room. And today's message is going to deal directly with those things. And so I want you to know that as a pastor this morning, my heart posture towards you is, is caring and tender. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, and I hopefully I can explain myself well as we look through the passage of Scripture. But there are some things in here that I believe are more important than we've given it attention to, and so we're going to jump into it today, because the leading up to the parable of the unforgiving servant here in Matthew 18, Jesus has warned about walking in offense. He has warned about being hard-hearted towards others. He's talked about how to deal with a sinning brother in the faith. And, and what's interesting is, is these particular things actually provoke a question from Peter that prompts this response in the parable of the kingdom of God uh, from Christ. And so Proverbs chapter 18, starting in the 21st verse, let's read it together. It says this, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall, I, uh, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, uh, I do not say to you up to seven times, but to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, it says, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. Uh, The servant therefore fell down before him saying, master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. He says, but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, uh, after he had called him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. He says, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. You know, looking at this scripture, um, there was something in here that stuck out to me initially that I want to point out to you. Uh, when peter asked the initial question uh he makes this statement so he's saying hey um how often shall i forgive my uh, my brother's sin who sins against me uh and do i have how often do i have to give him and so he gives a specific number he says like seven times something i want you to understand about this it was significant that he said seven times because it was more than double the amount that jewish law required at the time so when you go back and you look uh, and there, there's a practice that they have called like the, the, the teshuva, and, uh, and it's a time of like inward reflection that somebody's supposed to come uh, uh, up to three times to ask for forgiveness of something, uh, and within that three times, it's expected that the person is supposed to forgive them. Uh, it's something that they continue today, um, and, and uh, we're not going to go into all of it, but there was just some things they do. And so during that time, they would ask for forgiveness up to three times, it says, after which the person is no longer considered accountable for the wrongdoing. Right, So again, the general expectation is that the person wronged was expected to forgive the person that had committed the offense. And here's the crazy part. After the, uh, after the three requests, if the person did not forgive the sin, it was now on the wronged person for not forgiving. So in their mind, they actually said, if you chose not to forgive within those three times, that sin is now on you. And it's your fault. And the other person was treated as if they had not done anything wrong. And so I think that's an interesting uh, practice because Peter's question to Christ shows that he's picking up on the nature of the kingdom versus the traditions and the practice. So it's amazing because he's like, you know, you can see Peter like, cause he was like, he had a big mouth too. And, and this moment all of a sudden he's just like, he's like, he asked the question because he's realizing there's a difference between the kingdom of God and what he knows. So he says, what am I supposed to do with that? So he's thinking, I'm going to pick a lofty number like seven times. And Jesus turns around, he's like, no, not seven, but 70 times seven, which is 490 times in a day. And what's Jesus saying by that response? You and I are called to continually walk in forgiveness. And, uh, and so the interesting thing is, is in this parable, Jesus uses a master settling accounts to illustrate a kingdom reality and an expectation. Uh, and here's a, here's a few truths about this. Uh, the, the number one thing the Lord spoke to me, and, and this is something, honestly, that kind of checked my theology a little bit, because we think about God as just being gracious and merciful and kind, and he is. But something that I realized as I studied this out and looked at some other references is that the central truth of this parable is that unforgiveness is not tolerated by God. It's interesting. And I'm going to show you some things here in just a moment with that. Because some important truths about this, I have five quick things I'm going to share with you. Number one is this, that the master, everybody say the master. Master. The master, the one who is in charge, is settling accounts. And again, we're all going to give an account of our lives to him. So one of his slaves who was brought to him the, the first gentleman owes him 10,000 talents. And something to note about this in the parable, because remember, Jesus is using natural things to ex, uh, explain kingdom truth. What you need to understand, the, the, the 10,000 talents uh, is, is, is something that is unpayable. So 10,000 is the largest numeral that exists in Greek. And a talent is the largest denomination of money. So Jesus is actually using something that is the highest number that they have and the highest value that they have. And so what he's trying to get across is that what this man owed, even with time, cannot be paid. I think it's important for us to understand that uh, because it's an absurd uh, absurd amount of money. And and, and again, it's, it's used to make a point about the level of forgiveness that this man received. Okay, so this guy that owed something that was absolutely unpayable and the master forgave the debt. So uh, in, the, in the second thing, the only reasonable request of the servant uh, with the debt is to ask for mercy, right? Because he cannot pay it. It's too much for him. And so it's important that, that the, the excessive mercy and compassion of the master is on display. And so again, in this, we recognize that the master in this is God, right? We are the servant with the huge debt and God in his mercy through the, the sending of his son to die has paid the debt through Jesus, And so that's the whole purpose of the understanding of this. But here's the thing is is God's expectation. And it's like we understand the first two. Like we get that through sin, we have an unpayable debt, that the only person we have is Jesus. But here's the thing about the kingdom of God that I feel like we often miss and potentially to our detriment in the end when it comes to our salvation. And this is the part that really struck me uh, when I read this is that mercy received is expected to be mercy given. Because the servant immediately sets out, right, finds a fellow slave who hun- owes him 100 denarii, which a denarii is about a day's wages, right? So he owes him about 100 days' worth of wages. And, uh, and so the amount is microscopic in comparison to this massive debt that the first one owed to the master. And so what, the, what does the slave do to his fellow slave? He is violent. It says he choked him. I mean, caught the dude by the throat demanding immediate payment right after being forgiven. And so here's the thing is the slave who's, who's now found owing has the same response as the earlier slave and, and how often it is the same thing in our interpersonal dynamics with each other that we know that we've been forgiven by God but situations arise and somebody asks for forgiveness and we hold it over their head instead of forgiving them. And I'm telling you this morning that those things I'm realizing are not tolerated in the kingdom of God because the, the case is ignored, he gets, he gets sent into prison and here's the thing is that the conduct of the servant is contrary to the conduct of the master. And that is the point today in, to me in this parable is that God expects us as we yield our lives to him and study his word, that our conduct begins to line up with his. Because the reality of life is you're supposed to be dead to you and alive to him. The old man and his ways is supposed to be gone the new man created in the image and the likeness of God is supposed to arise, which means what you see in him is also supposed to be seen in you. What he says, you learn to say. What he does, you learn to do. The way that he walks, you learn to walk. Amen? And I'm afraid that we've developed a gospel in our, in our culture today that allows us to say amen and uh-huh. And live contrary to the very things that he's asked us to crucify. Amen? We have to learn at some point to give up our rights. That's challenging in an American system because we're all about rights. And within our culture as a, as a country, there are some things that that's not, that's not wrong. I'm very thankful for the Constitution. Uh, I'm very thankful for the nation that we've been born into and the freedoms that we have. But you have to remember at the end of the day, the kingdom of God is expressly that. It's a kingdom. And there is a king. And he has expectations, he has desires, he has a culture that he expects, he has a lifestyle that he expects, there are things that that he allows, there are things that he doesn't allow. And our responsibility as believers is realizing that we are not of this world, we're of his. And so our our responsibility is to to learn to get in line with what he has said. And it's not just about a bunch of rule following, it's about knowing him, seeing the greatness and the power of who he is, and, and developing this desire to go, I want to serve you. I want to align my life to your ways. You have to realize things that burden me early on, they don't burden me anymore. Like to not drink, to not you know, go chase girls, to not do these different things, like that doesn't bother me. I'm actually thankful that I don't need to do those things anymore. Like I enjoy having peace in my life. I enjoy having joy. I enjoy having stability knowing that there's no skeletons in the closet. There's nothing to hide, right? I mean, like we're just, we're just running after them, we're pursuing them and it's good. But in this, again, mercy that is, that is received is expected to be mercy that's given because our conduct is intended to line up with the conduct of the master. And here's one else that I think is super important. The master is always aware of what is taking place. And so the conduct of the servant is, is relayed to the master, resulting right in the summons to give an account of the situation, and he declares the servant to be wicked. And I think that it's important for us to catch that because we can almost like detach the story from our own personal selves. That God is literally saying the unforgiving person is wicked. And, and at the end of it, I think it's important for us to recognize what does he do with that wicked servant? So in the beginning of the story, the beginning of the parable, there is a, the, the, the picture is that there was a servant that asked for mercy. God forgives the debt. Now there's another person that snatches up his fellow man and is unforgiving of that debt. God now calls him wicked, but what was the end of it? Number five was that the master repays the wicked servant according to his ways. And then when I, when I studied this this last week, I went, there's more to this, I think, than we've given, given attention to. Because again, the word here for, so it said, he's hand over to the merciless jailers until he can repay the amount that's owed. But here's the thing, the merciless jailers indicates the torture of the wicked slave and has the implication uh, as an eternal punishment given the amount owed. So he was initially forgiven the debt, but because he didn't show mercy to his fellow man that also owed a debt, that debt was now restored. And he was handed over to the torturers. When I read that, I went, I've never seen that before. I mean, just some of y'all know there's always fresh revelation in the word, but I didn't realize actually how serious God is about unforgiveness and, and that idea that the general principle of this parable is that God doesn't tolerate it. Because the reality of our lives and every single person is that every one of us has a debt that we can never pay. None of us are good enough. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We cannot pay the debt that is owed. And yet God in his mercy through Jesus has forgiven us. And listen, not only that, Colossians 2.14 even says that the handwriting that was against us, right? That handwriting that says you're guilty. That handwriting that says you're addicted. That handwriting that says you're not enough. It says he literally wiped the handwriting off the page. Oh, it's so good. And so often we live in the context of what we've done wrong, and yet he's actually saying the power of the blood of Jesus literally takes that, it, and it's like having a white erase board. He's just like, You had what going on in your life? What sin? Why? Because the power of the blood of Jesus is enough. And so he's, he's done this, this amazing thing for our lives. But here's the thing is he expects us to do the same with other people in our lives. Listen, even in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 15, you can turn to it if you'd like, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. Jesus is teaching asked a teach us how to pray. And he, and he says, in this manner, therefore pray. He says, our Father in heaven, that's worship, hallowed be your name, that's praise. He says, your kingdom come. He doesn't say my kingdom come. He says, your kingdom come. Your will be done where on earth as it is in heaven. He says, give us this day our daily bread. God wants to meet your needs. Listen, he says, and forgive us our debts, right? So it is right for us to ask for God to forgive us. But he says, and forgive us our debts as, everybody say as, As. we forgive our debtors. So he says, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. Now, a lot of times we've memorized that, right? We're taught that as kids, especially in previous culture in America, Listen to the next two verses. He says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's encouraging. But listen to verse 15. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is why I say the gospel of the kingdom is vastly different from the American gospel. The American gospel is about us. We just keep praying, it makes me feel good. I got my sins forgiven. I went to church. I got encouraged. I felt the chicken skin during worship. It's the goosebumps. I just like calling it chicken skin. <laughs> and so the thing is, is that context is more about us and how I felt and, and all of the rest. And yet the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus is revealing, because he says, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And literally two verses later, he's saying, if you choose not to forgive men of their trespasses... He says, the Father won't forgive you. You know, the more I thought about that, I said, God, what a, and this is why I would just share this with you directly. I thought for a second, I'm like, how shocking would it be to spend your whole life thinking that you're born again, but you harbor unforgiveness and it leads to bitterness and resentment in your heart. And you find out someday when he says, depart from me, you work of iniquity, I don't know you. You ever thought about that? That'll put the fear of the Lord in you, which is good. Because I feel like that's something that, 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 that needs more attention, I think, than we often give it. Because Numbers 23, 19 says that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent or change. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Which means that the nature of that word in Matthew chapter 6, verse 15, is that God is not a man that he should lie. Which means... If we choose to walk in unforgiveness, then we're not going to receive the forgiveness. And I just want to stand before you as a minister of the gospel to tell you the truth this morning. That we need to to learn to walk in forgiveness because unforgiveness is not tolerated in the kingdom of God. And listen, forgiveness doesn't change injustice in our lives. It frees us from the effects of it. Freedom doesn't change the offense. Freedom doesn't change what's happened to you, or forgiveness doesn't change the offense or what's happened to you. But forgiveness, when you choose to forgive, you're freeing yourself from the effect of what happened to you. Listen, because I've seen this over and over bitterness and offense turn many hearts away from the kingdom of God. Because uh, forgiveness, because listen what forgiveness does do, forgiveness does not hold the infraction over the head of the person. It does not hold on to the infraction to use as a weapon at a future opportune time. You see, and this is what I realized in sharing this message, is that the concept of forgiveness can be very volatile and difficult for people. And this is why the emotions, the pain, the trauma of the things that we've gone to, listen, they were real and likely very raw. Things happen in life. Unjust things happen in life. Right? I mean, there are people that are abused. I mean, the, the, the movie right now, right, The Sound of Freedom, is, is just continuing to shine a light on the continued wickedness and perversity of mankind. There's always going to be trauma in the world because the world fully has not yet been redeemed. The kingdom of God has not fully been established until the millennial reign of Christ. And so we're going to continue to see perversion and wickedness and things that are happening in the world. We're going to see people that are selfish and all about themselves because their eyes are blinded to the truth. And they're going to say things and do things that are hurtful or offensive. Uh, They're going to they're going to treat people in ways that you're thinking that should not even happen, right? Because it's just that's the result of wickedness and sin. And so the, the, the things that we've gone through, they're very real, they're often raw. Uh, the experiences we go through are traumatic and painful. And I want to make it clear this morning as well that that does not mean, forgiveness does not mean that the abuses that you suffered are condoned in any way. Listen, the hurts that you've experienced, it doesn't make them right. Saying I forgive you to someone does not give them a pass. It's about freeing yourself from that entangled web of bitterness and anger and resentment that can completely cause your heart to become poisoned. Because when you choose not to forgive, you're placing yourself back on the throne as if you're God to rule and reign. Because listen, forgiveness is not a momentary thing where you just say, hey, I forgive you, but then you hold on to the offense to where later on when they do something wrong again, not if. Now I have it in my back pocket to pull it out. Yeah, remember back in 1966 when you said this and did this? Boy, you hurt me so bad. Now pick up sticks. <laughs> you're welcome. I know you're thinking it. Sorry. It's from a movie. You're welcome. Um, there's always a quote dropped in somewhere. You just, if you know, you know. <laughs> But here's the thing about it, though, is it's like there are so many people. and This is what bitterness and resentment does. Bitterness now takes that offense and like, writes it in a stone tablet, places it in the heart. And now when something comes up later on, it's like that person will never be free. You did this to me. You said this to me. You made me feel this way. You made me feel that way. I can't believe you. They ask for forgiveness because they genuinely realize what they've done is wrong. And in a moment, you may be like, yeah, I forgive you. But then the next time they do something wrong, poof, it's back up in the forefront again. If if it's that way, that's not forgiveness. It's manipulation. Because mankind likes to use it as a way to domineer and to control. But the nature of the kingdom of God is you're supposed to be dead to you, having given up your rights. Listen, Jesus could have called legions of angels to come down to take his place at the cross. And yet he willingly chose to suffer so that God could be glorified and we could come into the kingdom. Now, what I'm not saying, forgiveness doesn't mean placing yourself back into abusive situations. If you're in an abusive relationship, I do not believe that God has called you to stay there and get abused. Right? If there's sexual abuse, whatever it is, those types of things, listen, I'm not saying, forgiveness doesn't say go back to that and just submit to that every single day. Because that's not right because it's not godly. But what it is, is it just simply deals, forgiveness deals with our heart towards the person. And so remember that the parable of the sower and the condition of the heart, it is key to the kingdom. And this is why the issue of forgiveness matters so much. Because if I allow bitterness or resentment, anger, frustration to stay in my heart, and I allow that thing to harden my heart, that means that I am no longer going to be able to receive the word of God. Because my rights and my emotions and my feelings are going to be elevated above what he has said. And if I elevate those things or my experiences above what he has said, I'm going to end up in deception. And I'm going to be walking wounded for the rest of my life when instead God actually wants to make you whole. It doesn't change what's happened to you, but it can change your heart. It can change the way you look at something. And you can find out the very redemptive power of God and the power of the blood of Jesus, the power of the gospel, because you realize that, that he's able to do um, more, than, more than you can ask, think, or imagine. Mama, I know that you're in the room. Can I share real quick our story a little bit? Okay, thank you. I just want to make sure I have permission, um, because God has done an awesome work. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was like two years old. And uh, grew up with my dad for the most part, and going through my middle school, high school years especially, I was angry. I was angry at my mom, uh, had harsh words all the time. Uh, I remember, I mean, to the point where it's just like, you know, one of those things, you don't want to talk, you really don't want anything to do with a person. Now, obviously, that's wrong, um, you know, because again, as a kid, there are things you don't understand, but there are the experiences that you've had, things that you've felt, uh, and so you can build a pattern of thoughts based around that. And uh, I remember I was probably around 19, maybe 18, 19 years old. And uh, there just was like this dawning one day, I was learning, I was beginning to get into the word, I was in the worship team in Cruces, and uh, just as a volunteer, and I remember I was walking between, we had a building next to our like main church, and I was walking from that building to the other one, and also I just thought, I was like, I need to call her and forgive her. And I was just like, I said, I just want a chance to get to know her. Uh, because I, again, just the way our summers and things, it was just limited knowledge, and uh and so I remember we called that day and, and talked for probably about 45-50 minutes on the phone. I was late getting into a rehearsal, I'm not in trouble for that, but uh it was just late getting into a rehearsal. But that day was the beginning of of an opportunity to have restored relationship. And so now one of the coolest things to me is uh you've been here now, is it five years? Yeah, July this month was actually was five years. Um or this next month has been five years now. It's the longest we've ever lived in the same city. Uh, God has brought restoration to our relationship, uh, has, uh, has just made all kinds of changes in the fact that we're willing to honor him. And in honoring him, we forgive one another and we learn how to do life well. And it's such a, to me, it's such a beautiful thing in my own testimony of seeing the power of what forgiveness can do. Because before I was bitter, before I was angry, And that anger spewed through all different aspects of my life. It spewed how I treated my wife when we first got married. She didn't deserve half the stuff that I did, but I was an angry person because I allowed bitterness to get in. And so often if we allow the offense or the hurt to be elevated above what God has said, we're going to have a nasty effect on all the people. You ever heard that phrase, hurt people hurt people? We all know those people. We are those people. But the thing is, is God has called us to live a better way, and that's to walk in forgiveness so that we can actually get free of that offense, get free of that perspective. And you have to understand something, too. Like, true forgiveness for me was a process because there would be moments where, you know, it wouldn't even be intended or intentional, but something was said or the way that it was said, and emotions would come, like, violently ripping back up on the inside of me, and I would have to put them down. I would remind myself out loud sometimes to shut my mind up and to say, Father, I thank you that I have forgiven her. Today, I choose to walk in forgiveness. And that had to happen over and over and over for a season. But can I tell you that today, none of those emotions really ever show up? And what was anger, frustration, and bitterness is now love and affection and relationship. It's possible if we'll submit to his ways. Amen? I want to remind you this morning that anger, wrath, malice, and hatred are not kingdom virtues. Colossians 3a says, but now you yourselves are to put off all of these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. We have to make the choice not to walk in them because forgiveness is not about what people deserve. It's about conforming to his image. And let that settle in just for a moment. Forgiveness is not about what people deserve. Forgiveness is about you and I being conformed to his image, to be like him. To know him, to know his ways. Because he's the master that forgave the debt that was unpayable. You know, I was thinking about this. You realize that we're made in his image, right? Genesis tells that we're made in his image and his likeness. So if we're made in his image and we have emotions and a capacity to be hurt, how much more his capacity to hurt? You ever thought about that? His capacity to love, to feel now, he's not dictated by his emotions, right? If he did, he'd probably end up in sin, and obviously there's no sin in him. But the thing is, is stop and thing about that. How many times have our actions caused him hurt? I mean, something about Jesus being nailed to a cross unjustly. I wonder how he felt when the people stood there mocking him. And they're legit gambling for his clothes right in front of him. And they're telling him, yeah, if you're like really him, you know, save yourself and come off of there. Having, having thieves on the other side, you know, criminals that are on each side of them, they're also being crucified. And they're just talking trash. You got nails driven through your hands and feet. And I just thought about that. I'm like, I wonder how you felt. But what did he do? What did he say? Anybody remember? He says, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. I think our assumption as individuals is that we think that everybody that does something understands what they're doing. How much does the perception change when you realize that maybe they're just walking in deception and they have no clue what they're doing. It may look like it. But I mean I mean they're literally hanging on a cross and Jesus is going forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. And I thought about that in reference to other people in our lives how often they probably not actually have an idea of what it is that they're doing. They're caught in something. They're, they're going through things. They're hurt. So they're saying dumb things, doing dumb things, and, and, and just, gosh, like it can, and it, yes, it can affect our heart and it can affect our mind, but the reality of it is, is we can surrender those things to him. And that's really what I felt coming into the end of this service um, was to provide an opportunity For those that need to surrender some things To come up here and surrender to him at the altar The altar is a place where we come and die to ourselves And uh, and so this morning I'm going to ask you to bow your heads Where you are Because the nature of Christ is to forgive And the same grace, mercy, and compassion that God shows us He wants us to show them So that we can live out Matthew 10, 7, and 8 That as we go, we can preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, raising the dead, casting out demons, because freely we've received, we can now freely give. Thank you for listening to the Waymaker podcast. To simply connect, or if this message ministered to you and you would like to support the ministry, you can simply go to waymakerchurch.org.